0: Hello, Terry here with the 35th episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today we are chatting about stop motion, which is obviously, if you don't know by now, my favorite subject how to make tough decisions in your career and also out of school, and making your own short film. But first, since this episode features an extremely talented stop-motion animator, if you're also interested in stop-motion and making your own film, or you're working on a commercial project right now, and you need some gear like armatures, rigs, or software, my friend Mark Spess, who has also been on this podcast, runs an online stop-motion store, and he's giving 10% off all of his Ben D armatures, Bendy Riggs and copies of Stop Motion Pro Software to those listening right now. All you have to do to get the discount is enter code AIP as an in animation industry podcast when you check out of his store. And I'll include all the links to this in the description of this video. And if you do check out with that code, you're also supporting this podcast, which would be amazing. Now, continuing on with this episode. The person I'm interviewing today is a former Sheridan graduate himself, and his name is Colin Lepper and he's also an amazingly talented stop-motion animator. He's somebody who's developed a super unique and really cute style, and he's been able to realize it on screen, which is actually quite rare. And like I said before, he graduated from Sheridan College in Ontario, and then immediately went on to work for Jab, where he's been for a number of years now, working exclusively in stop-motion, creating e-cards, and more recently developing and animating their original series on Netflix, The Storybots.
1: So, Colin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, too, thanks. Um, Thanks for, again, taking your Saturday to chat with me. Um, So one thing I want to know is kind of how you ended up in stop motion, because uh, you went to Sheridan. I'm at Sheridan right now, and Sheridan mainly focuses on 2D. You can do, like, some stop motion or, like, 3D on the side. So how did you end up focusing in stop motion and then getting into the industry with stop motion
2: um so pretty much it the seed was planted in high school i think like a lot of people i i messed around with just some claymation i had a one-week class in high school um where we got to experiment with it and it was something that i didn't really realize what it was at the time like we'd watch james and the giant peach a million times in school and i'm like i don't really know what i'm looking at um, it's like kind of weird looking but then I found out that there's this thing called claymation we did like a really quick one week video in a group and I had a lot of fun doing it and that led me to um making a couple just music videos in my spare time and I really liked it and then that sort of that sort of stuck with me through high school and into college and it was just always something in the back of my head that I was interested in doing um yeah, and then and then I kind of spent most of Sheridan not knowing whether to do 2D animation or stop motion animation, um, and I was there right when like at the start of my third year was really exciting because that was when we got all the Cintiqs into the studio, so like that shift to digital was starting just then. Um, so yeah, it was it was something that like. Always was interested in pursuing and then wasn't quite sure whether to pull the
1: trigger on it. So like pretty late into college. So what, what made you end up pulling the trigger on it? Because uh, like you're also highly trained in 2D. So what made you choose stop motion over 2D in the end?
2: Okay. As weird as it is, uh, considering the reputation stop motion had, it seemed more professionally sound to go into stop motion. (laughs) Like I, cause I, I did all my 2d, I loved animating 2d, um, but I did it all on paper and I wasn't really into using flash or anything. Um, and I knew that most work is not going to be frame to frame hand drawn animation because that was kind of, that's was and is still kind of dying off and has become very niche um but stop motion there's still stop motion feature films being made there's like stop motion tv shows there's there's full studios that do stop motion animation whereas when i think of a studio that does exclusively hand-drawn 2d it's pretty hard to think of so i'm like I really like this. I like building things with my hands. I like the diversity in VMs you get to use. And maybe I can actually make money off this. So that was my, that was my thinking, at least.
1: You're the first person to say that you saw more opportunity in stop motion than 2D. Um, Yeah. (laughs) so, So like, when I graduated high school, I also like dabbled in claymation and did some short films and stuff. And I came down to Toronto to see what opportunities there were in stop motion. And there was like, very very minimal, not really that much. So I chose to go to business instead. So what, how, like, I'm I'm really interested in how you saw such a good opportunity in stop motion. Were you thinking of staying in Canada with stop motion? Because I know that you moved to the states. Um, yeah,
2: so I, sorry, I uh, I wasn't I wasn't exclusively thinking I would stay in Canada. And honestly, I didn't have a like a big picture game plan for it it was 2d and stop motion are so close i kind of prefer stop motion i know there's studios like like there's studios like stupid buddy um there are studios not necessarily in toronto and at the time cup of coffee too was not you know i I haven't really heard what they're up to if anything lately but they were still they were still pretty big when i was in school um And so, like I did see some options, and yeah. feature film was really interesting to me. That was kind of a holy grail of I was left to work on a feature film. And so there were still there were a lot of feature films coming out too around that time in stop motion, as there still are. So that was kind of
1: what I saw that that gave me something to work towards. Um, unfortunately, a cup of coffee doesn't. It's not around anymore. So that's why I haven't heard anything. i oh, yeah. not
2: even. Yes, I heard of them. They were. They had just sold a ton of their stuff and moved somewhere really small. And I think they weren't even going to do stop motion anymore. So that's too bad to hear that they're just, they're just gone. It's a
1: bummer. Um, Okay. So you knew of Leica and stupid buddy and, and et cetera, but like there's a lot of people who are trying to get into stop motion in the States and here, et cetera. And like, how did you have the confidence that you would be able to get into the industry coming from like Canada versus everybody else, I guess, who's trying to get in as well. Um, And there's only so many jobs available too, right?
2: Yeah. And uh, I definitely did not have any confidence that I was going to go into stop motion. Um, Going into fourth year, making my fourth year film, um, I was basically looking at it like we have industry day at the end of fourth year. And I was going into industry day being like, I'm not going to get a job out of this. No one's going to talk to me. There isn't a single stop motion studio coming to industry day. So whatever, I'll just have some fun with it. But I figured, you know, I had I had three years worth of 2D portfolio work. And if fourth year was going to be my one year to get to work in stop motion, even if I didn't get a job out of it, like I would rather put that time towards doing what I really want to do on the off chance it lands me something, then do something that would land me work. But it's like, well, I wonder what would have happened if I just tried doing stop motion. So it's all about just kind of not living with that that nagging regret in the back of your head, I guess.
1: Were there other people in your year as well trying to get into stop motion too? Yeah, I think our year had four or five stop motion films.
2: Yeah. And uh, so I, I got an internship um, from Industry Day, half by chance, just because the studio Jib Jab was looking to do uh, a stop motion summer project, and so I went with one other person, uh, Rosemary Travell, and uh, we both worked at Jib Jab for the summer. And I think that was the only stop motion work though that came out of our year. So, yeah,
1: it's not so, bad. So you've been uh, working at Jib Jab for quite some time. Um, how in touch are you keeping with opportunities in the industry? Like, I'm wondering, do you hear of opportunities in stop motion now in Canada or new opportunities in the States other than the established studios that already exist? Yeah, Canada,
2: I'm, I'm really out of touch with Canada because all my all my professional connections in stop motion are all here. So I really have no idea. Actually, if you know, like, I would be interested to hear. Um <laughs> And because I was in a bit of a bubble just at that same studio for five years, I I wasn't super in touch with kind of positions that were opening up. There would be the odd studio that reached out or the odd friend that I had that was like in the stop motion industry and I would kind of hear through them. And it's only been recently since I left Jib Jab in May that I've been getting more kind of into the the job search and seeing what comes. But it's hard because a lot of these, like you said, so there's so many people who want to do stop motion. And a lot of these, especially feature films, are almost all done just through people who have worked together before. So it's, I I mean, I think there was, I forget what feature was made in Montreal not that long ago. Maybe The Little, little Prince. Yeah. Yeah. But that was something that I would love to work on. But it's like you don't see a job posting for it. You don't see anything for it. And then you just find out, oh, yeah, I think that happened in Montreal. And it's like at these random pop-up studios, too, that aren't like a full-time stop-motion studio. So, yeah, it's just uh, that can be a little a little difficult is finding that in.
1: But it's just something that grows with time. So, because you worked at Jib Jab instead of one of the like traditional stop motion studios, do you feel pretty well connected with stop motion in the states? Not really, no. And so at Jib Jab,
2: I was, I was the, basically, I worked with one other person, and it was just the two of us doing stop motion. Um, and then towards the end, as we did bigger stop motion projects, we had two to three contractors who would come in. Um, and do some work with us, but we were really isolated. We're in a different part of Los Angeles than where all the stop-motion studios are, so it's, it's kind of funny now, now that Storybots, uh, the show that I have been working on, um, is released now and, and has a bit of traction. People are just starting to hear about it, but so many people don't even know that there's full stop-motion episodes of it and stuff just because it's so separate from that
1: community. Well, I only know about it because of your Instagram, so there you go. Yeah, um, I
2: got Someone's got to see it.
1: <laughs> uh, well, maybe this podcast can help you get the word out a bit more. I don't know. Um, so one thing that you mentioned, uh, kind of you left Jab. you're working on your own film, and um, you don't really know about the Canadian stop-motion industry right now, but one thing we, we talked about before is that you're actually thinking of moving back here. Yeah. Um, So say you move back here in the next, I don't know, year or whatever. How are you going to pursue stop motion as a career in Canada if you choose to do that?
2: Yeah. um, It's been so working in um, working in the States as a Canadian, uh, I was on a TN visa. And so that pretty much means that whatever studio you're working for, you have to be working for them. As long as you're living in the States. So I'm coming off a five-year stretch of just working for this same company, which was an amazing company to work for. I really hit the jackpot with it, but I'm seriously itching to do my own stuff and give that a shot. Um, And like, that's a whole discussion too, of, of which avenue to pursue. But I think moving back to Canada, A, there's the freedom of not needing a visa to stay there. So I don't, I'm not constantly on a deadline and I can take the time I need to kind of develop my own stuff. Um, And then also it's just, I would be moving back to Canada to pursue some of the, the personal projects that I'm already working on here. And it'll just be, it'll be a situation where I'll probably try and create my own, not my own studio, but having having something that I can show as to like the diversity of my style and take some freelance work. And it'll it's basically I think Canada would be more of a freelance small project thing, and then states is if you want to work at a studio um, and just do like puppet fabrication or
1: animation or something. So. He- you are thinking of moving back to Canada to sustain yourself as a career then with the freelance work?
2: I imagine going back to Canada will probably be about, so I'm currently working on a project that I don't want to take more than another maybe six months to do, so um, probably would move back to Canada somewhat temporarily and then when I need to start, when I get that itch to be socializing again and earning money again, then I'll start looking for some studio work here, but it's kind of something that I've learned that I, I didn't really fully realize when going into slow motion, but you have to be willing to, it's pretty hard to set up roots somewhere, so you got to kind of be willing to, I'll spend a few months here and then I'll move on to the next thing, which is who knows where. Um, so no geographically there's not a a really long-term place in mind but that's just kind of my next you know half a year to a year
1: so say say there's like a stop motion studio in Canada I don't know wherever you move like say Toronto and they do um like commercial work or like shows for Netflix or stuff would you be totally open to working there for a number of years
2: definitely I just uh I just don't know what those places are. I think um, all the closest experience I've had to finding stop motion work in Canada is through really small studio. And this is, this is like four to five years ago at this point. Um, but really small studios who are interested in doing kind of one-off stop motion projects. Um, or it's finding freelance work. Uh, from someone who kind of finds you or you reach out to someone and they're interested in working together again on kind of just a one-off project thing or Canada is pretty good about grants and so I know a few people who have worked with the NFB or there was like there was like some that when the bell sponsored or something Um, but I think grants is also an option in Canada and that's super appealing
1: because then you just get to make a film that you want to make Right. Um, Okay. So this is a really interesting topic to me because like when I came out of high school, I saw no opportunity in stop motion and that kind of like crushed my dream. And then I like mentally blocked myself off for that for so long. And now I'm starting it back up again. Um, So I think it would be amazing to have a studio focused in like Toronto, for instance, or maybe a cheaper city (laughs) um, that, you know, does commercial work, does show pitches that get picked up by networks and stuff like that. What is stopping that from happening from your experience right now like why can't um a studio in toronto start making shows for major networks in toronto um
2: this is definitely
1: outside of my my expertise
2: (laughs) but if i had to take a guess i would say the canadian companies making television and movies have way less money than the states and i assume that that means that there's not a lot of Canadian produced stop motion because they probably don't want to take the financial risk of doing something stop motion when they can just rely on Nelbana or uh, just one of the big 2d studios to do it. Um, And then I imagine the States is where most the States and and I guess London probably um, are where most of the stop motion is coming out of. And there's, there's like a bounty of stop motion workers in the States and stop motion is something that's really hard to outsource unless it's something that you're just giving to a studio of make this for us, you take care of it. Yeah. But something like a movie or a TV show where there's got to be back and forth with the people higher up and who are creating it, I imagine it's just too difficult to outsource to a different country. Whereas like the States outsources tons of animation to Canada because that's a little more straightforward. Sorry, 2D animation. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that makes sense to me. I, I also think it's kind of sad because, like, I would love to have Canadian talent kind of stay in Canada and develop a unique style or a niche here too. Because I I think that would be that'd be great. i would be like fulfilling the thing I needed when I was like 17. <laughs> um, hey, I, mean, I think that like that is. That's possible. I don't think there's any reason
2: why it couldn't happen. Again, it's like you said, it's that it's that unique style. And if there's people who are creating something that you can't get what that looks like anywhere else, then it doesn't really matter where they're living. Um, but that is just a hard thing to accomplish. But I don't see any reason why it can't happen. Fair
1: enough. Yeah, well, hopefully, maybe I can make this happen, or a group of people who are interested in. I know there are other animators here In Montreal, specifically because the Montreal Stop Motion Film Festival, there's a ton of people who are interested in stop motion. It's just, um, you know, there's a lot of one-off short films, like kind of what you're creating. Um, There's the NFB, which the National Film Board of Canada that sponsors stuff. There's just not uh, a large commercial um, studio that uh, kind of has the pipeline and the studio space and everything set up to create that stuff here. So... It's unfortunate that cup of coffee is not around anymore, but cool. So maybe yeah. let's let's um, move on a little bit and talk about Storybots, the series that you were involved in, because um, that you were kind of like a very, very small team developing something for Netflix that turned into like I've been watching your stuff on on uh, Instagram and it's like exactly the style i love it's really cute it's funny the animation is like superb and the sets and like ideas that you have put out there are like very unique and phenomenal and and the uh, i guess like how you've approached it um so like you have built like giant sets and like ridiculous rigs and like giant rolling things just for one shot so um maybe we can chat about that and what was your involvement from the start in that uh, in storyboards.
2: Yeah, uh, so that was something that quite literally snowballed a lot. Um, but so it was it was a very fortunate sequence of events. So uh, Jib Jab came to industry day. They wanted to make uh, two stop motion e cards. So I went and did an internship there after graduating, and that was right when they were developing and figuring out what this show was going to be. And they were in the very rare circumstance of self-funding their own television show which is how they got away with some of it like which is why it is so different um but so i was there right when they were figuring out the format of the show what the episodes were going to be um and then it, it was really something and like this comes up a lot of just they didn't necessarily have work for me but i did stop motion and i and i was just, like, someone who, who kind of worked well at the studio. So when I was brought on full-time, it was half, well, we have some stop-motion stuff we might want to do, and half, we like you, and so, like, we'll find work for you to do. Um, and that is how a lot of stuff on that show happened, was just them finding individual artists who they really liked the style of and finding a way to incorporate it into the show. So... Because I was there from the very start, it kind of grew from season one of StoryBots. I had one or two stop-motion sequences. And then season two, they decided to do some bigger stop-motion episodes. And because I was kind of the original stop-motion person there, and we had now brought on one other person who was kind of doing more of the set fabrication, um, then I got a bigger role there, which means I got to expand and basically... Like, as we were talking about before, I have a bad and good habit of just, like, what's the biggest most we can do in, like, this time and this money? Um, So that's why you get the, like, crazy one-off enormous rigs for two seconds of footage is because I'm there being like, oh, what if we do it like this? And then I have one other person who's like, yeah, and let's build on it in this way. And then the two of us just snowball. And then we're really fortunate that the people we were working for, the show creators, um, they were self-funding at the time. And then they got a deal with Netflix. And Netflix is very open to just, all right, you guys do whatever. So we kind of didn't have anyone to stop us for better or for worse. And so that's how we got kind of the craziness that is Storybots.
1: So what was the most ridiculous thing you created for the show? I think those rolling wheels were
2: definitely one of them that I think you probably saw on Instagram. Those were the um, trash wheels. The trash wheels, yeah. So Aaron Boffman is the uh the other guy I, I worked with there who is on there full time and he comes up with the craziest practical solutions to effects and getting whatever shot, like there's always the way to figure it out. Um and the way that that studio worked is the storyboards uh, were done without knowing what medium it was going to be in. So ideally, you're like, this is going to be stop motion. So let's do something that's simple and easy that will work for stop motion. But for better or for worse there, it's like, all right, so we got this idea for this like avalanche of trash. And there's like a car chase in it. Um, and then when it comes time to enter production, it's like, all right, who's available? The stop motion people are available. All right, I guess this episode's going to be stop motion. And then we just kind of have to work backwards from there and figure out what that's going to be. So that was a big one. There was an episode on nutrition in season two that had. I literally stopped counting how many puppets I made for that episode because it, I think I stopped counting once it passed like 40 different puppets um so it's just and it's the same thing Of we have an idea for an episode uh I guess it's going to be stop motion um so yeah things got out of hand really quickly there but it's nice looking back on it now that it's
1: done yeah and I remember seeing a lot of the nutrition stuff you have like I don't know it just looks like you took random stuff and put eyes on it sometimes like a plastic steak and whatnot (laughs) um uh, so yeah so it was like you and one other person doing most of the fabrication and animation. Were you also involved in the budgeting of all these things?
2: Uh, pretty minimally. I would like we have a producer who will, will be dealing with that. And I'll I would check in with the producer once in a while,
1: usually when I had to find out that we're running out of money or we're out of money. So what would happen at that point when you're running out of money? Because you spent it all on a giant trash avalanche for a <laughs> seconds of a show. Um I mean they were always they
2: were good about uh not hounding us too hard for going over budget. It was it was sort of like a it's hard in stop motion because you've already sorted at the point where you go past the budget you're already invested in a look in the type of puppet in the style of animation so there's not too much you can change. So it'll be, you kind of see what you can do at that point. So um, for the recycling episode, that went, uh, that went over budget pretty quickly. Um, but at that point, you're like, well, the storyboards had these six other puppets. We're not going to make those puppets. We'll come up with something else to use with the initial puppets. And you're just sort of, sort of working, <clears throat> excuse me, to meet Halfway on these things because, you know, you can't just suddenly shift to 2D and do like puppet animation for half the episode. But there are areas you can cut back with not having as many one-off shots. You figure out a way to reuse more backgrounds. You reuse puppets. Um, you do simpler animation in your shots. Stuff like that.
1: So if I'm looking at like a budget, what's on there? I'm assuming you have like material supplies time you spent animating, like, what is a typical budget for an episode look like?
2: Um, yeah, so for Stop Motion specifically, and that was also, so our studio was so small, like, our production team was, I think, about 30 people, so it's a lot of people sort of figuring out on a case-by-case basis how things are going to work, um, but so we, we had a materials budget, and that was very transparent, that would be, like, you get X amount of money to buy your materials, and that was never really a problem, actually. The material cost and the scale of things is is pretty minimal. Um, and then it would mostly just be a time budget of we have enough money to pay an animator to come in for three months. Um, we can afford to bring in another set fabricator for X amount of months. Um, and I was never... I was never told too many specifics in that regard because that gets in, in, into what people are being paid and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it's just sort of, all right, you get an extra animator for three months, find a way to make that work. And it was a bit of a back and forth of asking me as the director how much time I think I would need an animator for. Um, and then we just try and it's a, it's honestly a lot of guesswork. <laughs> just because it's, like, not something
1: we'd ever done before. So if you, you were involved in this process, even if, if minimally with the producer, I guess, did you ever run into, like, big issues or things you had to, like, that you really had to learn the hard way? Um,
2: I, yeah, in the sense of, I mean, no one wants to be over budget. And as, especially if you're a director or someone with more responsibility on the episode, like, I took that very personally, and I didn't want to be responsible for the show running out of money or anything, so it is sort of something where you set these goals originally, like you want to accomplish a certain look for an episode, you want to accomplish a certain scale, and it's a hard, it becomes a hard balancing act when you're told there's no more money, and you have a ton more work to do, like it led to a lot of late nights, yeah, a lot of late nights, a lot of kind of figuring out what we can do that's realistic to solve this. So definitely learn the hard way of just sometimes setting your sights too high can can hurt you in the end, for sure.
1: So you're working on your own short film right now. What, like, big learning... I guess, from an animation perspective, as an animator and fabricator and things, and also from a business perspective, working with budgets, are you taking into your own project now? Because I guess that looking at your history, you did some claymation in high school, which is fun. Then you spent a year in your final year making your own short film, which uh, I should link in this podcast because it's pretty amazing. Um, then you kind of like jimmy rigged your way through uh, developing two seasons of of a Netflix show, and now you're working on your own thing. So, from an animation perspective, what is the biggest thing you learned in your implementing in your work now? Um, there's a
2: lot I've learned and haven't learned, uh, but I would say the biggest one is learning areas where you can simplify. So, and again, this pro- like I, I was telling you, I'm in crunch mode right now and on this personal project and. I'm working crazy hours again, and I don't know how to break out of this loop, Um, but there are certain things you can do, and it's just a matter of, like, you get enough experience and you know what you're willing to sacrifice, and what those sacrifices will make other elements better, so, you know, reusing backgrounds is a huge thing. One of the biggest things I learned in when it comes to time management and stop motion is it's the shot setup, the changing of changing of sets, changing of cameras, changing of lighting. That is all for years what I always underestimated is just how long it takes to get a shot looking right. So the more that you can have same-as shots, the more you can reuse backgrounds, the less wide shots you have where you need to show the, the character contacting the floor. Like Those are all huge time savers. And something that if you factor in early enough in your production, it can save you a ton of time later. And that was something to get used to with working, you know, on a show for Netflix that has a deadline and there's only so much time you can invest into things. Without fail, the more planning you did ahead of time and the more figuring out of how many types of shots you have, it's, like, it's a huge time saver. Um, so that's why when I released this, Thing that i'm working on uh you'll see a lot of medium shots and a lot of green
1: screen <laughs> okay well uh i'm definitely excited to see those but maybe if you didn't tell me i wouldn't know okay <laughs> um, <Yeah>. so <laughs> from a business perspective maybe your answer is very much similar because you talked about making things economical but from a business perspective when you're putting your own money into this um and you're i believe you're also hiring other people to help you out with with uh, some of the production value and stuff i don't know or at least you're working with other people. Um, yeah, other people. You get
2: you definitely like pull in some favors for sure, and then yeah. stuff like so, sound
1: is where it's worth hiring. So from a, a business perspective, what's the biggest thing you're applying to this the short film that you learned?
2: Um, I'm applying none of what I learned from a business perspective to this film because it's uh, it's just something that I'm like. This doesn't make any professional or financial sense, but I just got to do it and get it out of my system. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think I kind of I don't know what else besides what I was mentioning with just with this past experience. I think it's just it's a lot of uh, a lot of just planning and time time management stuff, which is. It's almost a futile gesture in stop motion, but you got
1: to try. I feel you. I feel you. I always have projects that I have to do just for the sake of doing. So what do you, what do you see as the result when you finish this project of yours? What is the, what is the goal that's like internally that you're hoping for?
2: Um, my goal has always been, and it's interesting, like your views when you graduate college and what your goals are then, can change so much in a short span but and so I've kind of been in a period of self-reflection of figuring out you know what what is that ultimate goal. Um, but honestly I think it's what I probably a lot of artists are after of just if there's a way to sustainably be making things that I want to make like that's the goal. so hopefully uh, what I'm working on is, I'm working on three shorts that all fit within this same world, the same set of, excuse me, the same set of characters. Um, and so if I can find get some money to make some more of this, I would love that. If this becomes a bit of a calling card of what I can produce on my own, and that leads to me getting a little more freedom with future projects, that's great. But I don't know. I just want to make stuff and not be worried about, being homeless
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean that is the dream (laughs) Um, not to be homeless and to make stuff um so stop motion is a very niche specific uh style what is what is what does the audience get out of when they see stop motion because like one thing you mentioned was storybot the storybot episodes that are stop motion kind of just came of out of who's available right now but when the audience which is kids see the storybots what are they What do you you think they're getting specifically out of the stop motion episodes they're not getting out of the 2D or CG episodes?
2: That's a good question. I don't know. I
1: mean, when you
2: when you think back to when you saw stop motion as a kid, like what was your what did you think you were looking at? Like did you know it was stop motion or did it even Yeah,
1: I mean, like I remember seeing King Kong and Sinbad the Sailor, like the Cyclops, like those were the when I think back to stop motion, when I first saw that, that's the, King Kong is I guess the first one. I didn't know what stop motion was, but I knew they were puppets. I knew that they right. were like handcrafted and they were miniature versions. Because especially in Sinbad, you have like the Cyclops with that ridiculous noise it makes lift up people, and the people look like they're little tiny puppets. Like they don't they they go from being real live actors to puppets. So yeah. I don't know. I just. I knew it wasn't real, but it was cool to see, like, a puppet there. Same with, like, watching Star Wars as a kid. Um, I didn't actually get into stop motion until I started, I think, after I saw Chicken Run. And then I started making little plasticine, like, characters from Chicken Run in, like, grade school. And then when we got a camera, I just started playing around, making them move and stuff with plasticine. So.
2: I think it's probably specifically appealing to kids um, because it's like, it's just moving toys. Like it's just bringing toys to life. And like, I can only speak from my own experience. Stop motion. I can't say I loved how, like I mentioned for whatever reason, my elementary school played James and the giant peach. It felt like every week and I never particularly liked it, but I always didn't really know what I was looking at. Same with the Rudolph shorts. I never liked I didn't like how a lot of stop motion looked. Like, it kind of weirded me out. But I think learning what it was, it's like, oh, this is fun because anything. Because, you know, 2D animation, there's good-looking 2D animation, and there's bad-looking 2D animation um, that you just sort of can't get around. But stop motion is cool, and part of why I like it is because even when it's kind of crappy, it is still...
1: Good. Like, because sure. you're still
2: I mean, just that, that, that you haven't seen move before. And even when it moves really janky, it's like, okay, well, that's kind of creepy, but I haven't seen something like that. Um, yeah, but I don't know yeah. kids like it because I was kind of creeped out by it as a kid. So hopefully kids aren't creeped out by it, the story bot stuff.
1: I hope not because I think it's, well, how can they? You have like a really funny looking felt bee, like, buzz around it's just really cute <laughs> True. um well, the eardrum
2: i don't know if you saw the eardrum that got a few a few parents on twitter saying how scary that was
1: <laughs> oh i didn't, <laughs> just, I didn't I look, look that. that up now
2: it's just oh. like this smooth silicone face that uh, yeah anyways so there was a range of scary on
1: that show yeah i i don't know i feel you with the stop motion thing like As soon as I watch stop motion, it's instantly recognizable as stop motion. And it just has a totally different feel than everything else. Um, Which is interesting because Leica is, like, getting to... It almost looks like CG sometimes. It's so smooth and, like, perfect. Uh, Which is, like, they're, like, pushing stop motion in, like, the technical aspect. And almost... I almost feel like sometimes that takes away from the love of what it is a little bit. When I see, like, the face move so seamlessly. Um, So... Uh, what kind of stories, I guess, do you think are enhanced by stop motion if, uh, you know, you've worked on a whole bunch of episodes in stop motion. You just said that, like, there's a this great appeal that anything can move. What, I guess, going forward or for another studio who's like telling stories and stuff, what should they tackle from a stop motion perspective that can't be done with other mediums?
2: Personally, I really love the... The exploration of surrealism you can do in stop motion because you can go you can make very realistic sets um so like people are amazing now at making miniature sets and and you have films like anomalisa where it just literally looks like you're in a hotel room and stuff and kind of one of my complaints about that film if i can make a complaint was like they had such opportunity to take these very realistic looking sets and do crazy stuff with them um that like doesn't involve like it it would be a whole nother step to take but you know you're not really relying on a ton of post visual um cg stuff like i love the idea of having realistic looking things and introducing you know a crazy looking stop motion puppet that doesn't necessarily have to belong in the real world, but by putting it in that same set, it just creates this layer of almost realism that you can do whatever you want in. Um, And personally, that's what I always really liked exploring with stop motion, is getting getting that kind of uncanny valley, surrealist, but still grounded in some sort of reality look and feel i think that's an exciting thing to explore with the
1: medium yeah yeah i totally feel you and and i was yeah Anna Melissa does it looks real the whole thing looks real it's very strange <laughs> yeah. and my um, favorite
2: part for the uh sorry uh like there were a couple of times where they started entering into that realm like i think there's one scene where the floor starts falling away and like there's a scene where the face comes off and stuff and that felt like a bit of an afterthought, but it would have been so cool to see more of that. That's what got me hooked on the trailer.
1: Anyways, so well, I am assuming you're doing some of that stuff with your own film now, maybe? I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely time consuming to do that stuff, but I'm doing some some shooting a bunch of like macro photography backgrounds that should just make a level mm-hmm. of I'm
1: hope, I, I don't know. I think it I think it's looking pretty cool. Cool. Uh, I also wanted to chat just briefly about kind of um, some of the behind the scenes of stop motion that people don't really recognize or even those in stop motion who are trying to get into stop motion don't recognize like what are some of the more monotonous or like health risking tasks that come with stop motion versus like 2D or other forms. Mm. I I mean, you you were like standing eight hours a day sometimes. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Monotony is a huge part of the job, for sure, as I'm sure anyone who spent a day doing anything in stop motion knows. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, I don't know, I think the, the 3D printing process is better now, but you would hear stories about Leica interns, like, sanding faces for eight hours a day for a whole summer. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a two-part question, but so on the, on the sort of time-consuming side, like people know the standing there taking a photo, standing there taking a photo. That's obviously that's kind of one of the more exciting things that makes time pass really fast. But you're going to be spending a lot of time. Like there's just no fast part of it. So like you're going to be standing all day, going to be. Uh, sorry, just one sec. I wrote down some of the more boring things that I. I oh yeah. Having. <laughs> like as i was thinking about that but um oh yeah moving so i don't know if you've gotten into when you were shooting your your summer project was that sort of the same
1: lighting setup throughout or yeah yeah i okay. yeah. um, Good. i just you. had a completely white background so i didn't have to worry about lighting too much nice
2: yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, I, I talked about the time spent setting up, like moving lights around is a huge, that's one of the things that'll get me alone in a room swearing to myself the most is like moving cords around from lights and getting lights set up. Um, mold making can just be, you know, you cast it, you wait a day, take it out, It's didn't work, so I do it again. So there's a lot of patience testers Um, but then uh, so again there's kind of all those elements that uh didn't fully realize and didn't fully factor time towards in my earlier stages um and then something that i've been learning kind of too late and just recently that now ever since i've been learning about it i feel like i need to tell everyone is all the as you work in stop motion more and more you're gonna find more and more materials that are good for more and more specific tasks. Um, but like it can get pretty gnarly, and learning how to, like, there was never mention of safety data sheets or like workplace safety um, when you're learning about stop motion. But that's such a big part of it, and learning how to properly read a safety data sheet is literally something that could save your life.
1: Um, so, and a so lot why- of the- so what's something you would read on a safety data sheet? Um, it'll, tell you, it'll tell you what chemicals are in it
2: and what hazards it presents. So there's a lot of stuff, like uh, resin is a very common thing to make props and parts of puppets, and I was using that in college, and I look back, and that stuff is gnarly. Like, you shouldn't be breathing in the fumes from that. You should be wearing full protective clothing the whole time. You really don't want to be sanding that without full face protection. And I get these flashbacks to sitting in the rabble apartment, like in my t-shirt and jeans with my legs crossed and just mixing by hand resin and then like spilling it on my pants. And then I spent most of fourth year being like, what the hell is? are all these red bumps on my arms? Am I really allergic to trees or flowers or something? Like, is this hay fever? And I went to a doctor and he's like, yeah, you're allergic to cats and certain trees. And I was thinking, I don't think that is doing this, but I don't know. And then, yeah, it was because I was exposing myself to resin. And people get um, people who work at, at the bigger stop motion studios who are using this stuff every day, you can develop just a lifetime allergy to this stuff and you get super sensitive to it. And I have that allergy to a degree, but it's not even too bad. Um, but yeah, people have... I've talked to people who've almost died from the stuff that they've used uh, making stop-motion puppets, and it's just because no one really talks about that. Like, you, I think the bigger studios will bring in someone yearly to make sure that you have proper ventilation and stuff, but it's not really something anyone wants to talk about because it's a bit of a bummer to be like, I want to sculpt and paint things, and then have someone be like, well... Make sure you don't die while you do it. Uh, so, yeah. anyone so who's- where,
1: where can you find out this information? Like, I didn't know anything about I haven't used resin. I, everything I use is, like, from the dollar store, which is pretty safe. But, uh, uh, yeah, I know the latex and resin and, and, like, fiberglass and stuff and sanding. Where do you find out information about all these things if you don't really know? Like, is there, I is there like, a resource that says, like, if you're in stop motion, here's some common materials and here's how to handle them? Um, well, so
2: yes and no, there's a big, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Smooth On, they make a ton, they make almost every, any product that you would want for stop motion, they make, um, but basically anything you're about to work with, and I've been learning about a lot of these things that we think are fine, but if you're in stop motion and using them often. Then they can become more dangerous. Whereas someone someone using super glue one day out of the year, it's not a big deal. If you're using super glue every day, you got to be a little more careful with it. Um, but so I would just before you buy any new product, just search that product's name SDS safety data sheet, um, and that's like a standardized form, and they're pretty easy to read. You just got to take the time to go through it because it's it's like two pages of just text. So it's a little, your brain goes a little dead when you look at it, but they break it down pretty easily and they'll tell you what to look for. Um, And it's, it's not as big a problem when you have a big outdoor space or you have a big studio with proper ventilation, but especially for smaller projects, working on a college film and you're doing it in your apartment or something, like that is... It's good to know. It's worth it's worth the five minutes of googling and reading
1: to make sure. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Um, sounds like maybe there could be something that's created specifically for stop motion animators as a resource. Yeah, I mean, I believe
2: most studios uh, will have a book. So anytime you go into their their supply room, they'll have a binder that has each page of whatever's in that room that you can go and look up um or at least they should like again we at at storybots we brought someone in from stupid buddy who is helping us build puppets and she saw our setup and she's like you guys aren't following any standards here like that shouldn't be sitting on the shelf that should be in, that should be like next to some ventilation um and so that was kind of a wake-up call of, oh, right, no one told us we were doing anything wrong, but, well, damn, I hope that didn't cost me a couple of years of my life. Oh, um, gosh. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, like, advice for the the smaller one- or two-person teams who are like, yeah, let's do some stop motion.
1: You know, just watch out for that. Fair enough. Um, well, I, that pretty much covered everything I wanted to talk about. Maybe we can just end on, if you want to talk about your film or, like, crossroads you're facing right now with you know working on your film coming back to canada maybe going back to the states um how do you how do you make how have you made potentially life-altering decisions uh throughout your career so far like moving to the states right out of school uh deciding to to leave and then work on your own job or your own stop motion like what Um, is what is that for you I mean, let's, let's talk
2: in two years and see if any of it was the right decision, because I still don't know. Um, but something that I personally just keep going back to is, I feel like it's never a bad decision to do something that feels right to you and feels like something you want to do, and if it doesn't work out then you know going forward, hey, I tried that, it didn't work out, or it didn't feel how I expected it to feel. I'm done that chapter and I can I can sort of calculate what next to do from there. But and it's definitely speaking just kind of personally with how I how I am, but the idea of working on something, being like, I wonder if I just tried that, or I wonder if I just took the time and invested it into something that I think about all the time. Like it's just one more box to check off. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think it's just, I have to, I had to make this choice at some point and it's, it's the cliche of follow what your gut says. I think
1: it so far has proved really well for you. I don't think there is a right and wrong. Like you said, do you have a plan B I mean, it kind of sounded like your plan B was 2D animation. Is that still on your mind?
2: No, I think <clears throat> I've been. It's been so long since I did 2D. That's kind of that's gone. But uh, like, there is there's stop motion work to be had, and I've been fortunate enough that I've met a ton of great people who are willing to help, and and I've found that just just being friendly and open with people and honest with people, people will want to have you stick around. And that's how I've gotten a lot of work and job offers that I've had is just people being cool to each other. Um, and so that's kind of, if I can't make it as an independent artist, then I know I have a good resource of, of friends and, and past coworkers who are kind of there to help me out and, I'm, I can find something to, you know, avoid the homelessness.
1: <laughs> Goal is to avoid the homelessness. But what you just <laughs> said, I hear from a lot of a lot of animators, especially 2D or sorry, especially stop motion animators. It's just who you like working with, really, in the industry. And um, that's how you get connections and jobs and things. So, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Yeah. Mm,
2: um, yeah, well, I would I would do want to touch on that just for a second because yeah. one of my one of my biggest uh pet peeves especially in college still to this day is the idea of networking. I hate I hate that term. I hate that term and I hate what that is. Um and I felt so much pressure on it and especially, you know, if there's other students who are listening to your podcast, like when you think about what you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself Networking is like such a I don't know, I just feel like it highlights all the wrong things and just being just being an honest and good person to other people and not trying to get anything out of it or establish connections or anything. Like that is by far what has gotten me the most success. Like I've got this job literally just because people liked working with me and wanted to keep me around i don't know anyone who has gone to ctn or like a convention and have established good honest relationships with someone through that um so just kind of trying to defeat the mentality of having a relationship with someone for the business aspect of it is like would love to get rid of that um right yeah yeah. that's just my little my
1: little rant Well, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And like, especially I come from the business world where like networking is like the big thing, right. But like handing your business card to somebody and being like, call me doesn't, it never works. And really what you said, it's just establishing relationships with people you like and like not expecting anything in return. Really. It's just like, Hey, you're a good connection. Let's let's chat or whatever. Um, so Because you kind of said that, uh, you know, if you're a student listening, where does somebody start? Like, say they're graduating out of school, or maybe they're not even in school and they're not in the industry. How do they start to get those connections with people? um, Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. There was something I would like to – I actually meant to talk about is we live in an amazing age where you can literally email or message anyone. um, Or
1: Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, I have now talked to you a couple times and I'm super glad to have met you and that wouldn't have happened without Instagram and it was so easy, right? Um, and so when, when I was working and we were looking to hire people to work on these stop motion episodes, we had a couple people who were just emailing being like, hey, I like your projects. If you're interested in having me work, here's my demo reel and that was never looked at as a bad thing people just reaching out and i would say email the people whose work you you enjoy email the studios that you would want to work for and you really never know what will happen and i found that pretty often more than i expect you get an email back and you at least are establishing that connection and people are always happy to talk to someone who you know isn't isn't you impressed or or something like that so it's definitely the most intimidating stage when you feel like you don't know anyone and you don't know what step to take, but you have literally nothing to lose by just sending an email to someone worst case scenario. You don't get an email back. Um, and then it's like, all right, that's five minutes of my day that didn't pay off. So yeah, I think a lot can happen from just emailing and again, not trying to be pushy about it not trying to have ulterior motives or anything like that. Just being like, hey, I really like what you're doing. If you ever need some help in this regard, like I can do X, Y, and Z um, and let me know.
1: Yeah, I I just want to reflect what you just said because um, people are always surprised on how I get in touch with people like yourself for the podcast. And 95% of people who've been on this podcast, um, I've just DM'd on Instagram because I follow their work. I like their stuff. I've been commenting for a while and I reach a point where I'm like, why don't I just ask this person if they want to be on, on the podcast? And like, not everybody responds or not everybody has the time. But the majority of people I've reached out to are totally fine. And I think there's, a, there's like a two-sided fear. One fear is like, I'm not good enough. They don't have like, um, you know, I'm scared of rejection. And the other fear is like, they're too good. They don't have time for me. But from my experience, like talking to people who are passionate about what they do, they want to talk about what they want they, they like to do and they want to help other and empower other people who want to do what they do too like yeah. we're just talking about stop motion this whole time we're not like trying to you know network and do all the business stuff like whatever but now we know each other and that's great <laughs> yeah, exactly and you never know you never know what will come
2: out of that um yeah exactly and yeah, I forget
1: what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But cool. Yes, everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we talked about that too. I think that's a really important thing. And it's, it's something you just learn to be comfortable with over time, I think. Um, <laughs> I know coming out of my first degree in business, I was like super afraid. And I have no problem just reaching out to people that I think would be cool to chat to. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have such a, we're in such a niche, weird thing. Like, how often do you even get to talk to someone who's passionate about the same things as you? I think most people are pretty eager to find other people.
1: Like, growing, growing up. Yeah, growing up, I didn't know anybody into stop motion or claymation at all. I was like the only person in my like immediate world that knew about it. So I originally started talking to people on stopmotionanimation.com. And, like, everybody back in the day was on there, like, all the big animators, all the, like, old-time animators, all the fresh, like, it was amazing. So, yeah, Yeah, social media has been, like, a really great place to connect um, with people who you like and and are in your niche, too. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to, to jump in at the end with? No, I think we we covered a good good variety of things there. Good chunk, yeah. Well, thank you so much Colin for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you taking some time away from the super exciting project that I can't wait to see on Instagram. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hoping to announce it very soon. It'll be uh, yeah, probably a series of three shorts that I'll hopefully I can release sometime next year
1: yeah amazing amazing well i'm definitely gonna keep looking out for them so uh yeah and um and if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with colin or follow his work and anticipate those three shorts coming out uh you can do so by following them on instagram and his uh handle is colin leper which is just his name and i will include the link to that and uh the link to his student film as well from sheridan in the description of this podcast and that is all for now thank you so much
0: for listening okay bye